Hello and welcome to Cruised for Reviews and the podcast where I get a friend to watch a Tom Cruise movie they've never seen before and then review it with me. I'm your host Cara Westworth and I am rejoined by Andrew who has seen this movie before but is reviewing it with me anyway because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. Thanks for coming back Andrew. No worries. It's also hard to find a Tom Cruise movie that I haven't seen multiple times already. So Yeah, we uh, we worked that out really quickly that um, no, there was not a lot and like I think Endless Love was the only one and you know, don't don't watch it it's like Tom Cruise is in it for two seconds and it's like a garbage 80s movie about Brooke Shields having underage sex with the boy not a good time yeah we're reviewing War of the Worlds we started the review last week which you should probably go listen to because we're going to just kick off where we left off just quickly where we left off was Ray played by Tom Cruise has basically said goodbye to his son let him go fight the aliens or whatever he needs to do and at this point it looks like Robbie may have been blown up in an explosion that happened shortly after leaving his dad. R.I.P. Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> they you know, run off because obviously there's big explosions and everything. Like there's yeah, the Hummer comes down the hill in flames and everything. Like a proper war scene kind of situation. Uh, there's a man standing from like, looks like a storm shelter, I guess a basement under a big old house. And he's like calling people over and Ray and Rachel head towards him to seek shelter with this man who's offering his home or whatever it is to people who are running past. This is where we meet the character played by Tim Robbins, Harlan Oglevy, if you pronounce it. He is an amalgamation of a few characters, apparently, from the War of the Worlds, the original story. Yes. Set up straight away that he's a bit of a crazy guy. You know, uh, Ray set, puts his daughter to sleep. There's a really sweet moment where he sings Rachel to sleep. Doesn't know any, nur- any like nursery rhymes or lullabies. He sings. Actually, do you know what the song is that he sings? Oh, he sings. What is it? My my, my little deuce coop. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, he, doesn't, he doesn't know any lullabies. So he sings. It is the, the Beach Boys song, Little Deuce Coop. Is, oh, Beach uh, Boys. Ah, oh. it's the only thing he can think to sing. Uh, <laughs> but like, but like we said, by this point, he's just doing whatever he can. Yeah, just trying his best with the very limited resources he has. Yeah. So Harlan, like after he sees them, you know, the little lullaby moment, he goes, "Here's some peach snaps. Uh, let's have a chat." And starts sort of waffling on not conspiracy theories because it kind of sounds like it, but he's actually offering, I guess, very harsh truths about what's happening with this whole alien invasion that, you know, Ray probably doesn't want to think about right now. And also, like, there's a sleeping child there. Not really super ideal, but, yeah, once Harlan gets going, he uh, gets going. <laughs> he definitely has, like, like prepper vibes, doesn't he? Yes. And I don't think it's even his house. I think it's just some place he found and is like, no, this mm. is a good place. And says to Ray, like, I didn't ask you to come in here because I want you to feel safe. I came here because I need someone to help me fight the aliens like we're going to bash them up which Ray's just left someone who wanted to go bash up the aliens and now has this complete stranger ranting and raving about it uh, that he has to deal with with his traumatised daughter. I, I feel like also at this point I'm trying to remember if we've seen examples of people attempting to fight because the, like, they're sort of hearing things on like the uh, radios of soldiers and stuff like that saying like hey nothing we do is doing anything and then you see like fighter jets flying over towards them and that doesn't seem to do anything before like all the flaming Humvees come uh, you know rolling back over the hill so I feel like Ray is kind of already in a position where he's like I've seen what these things are doing to people and to the military and everything else. Yeah if the military with you know big jets can't do it and I think they show that when the birds are flying around especially that there's shields around them so no matter what they do like these alien crafts have shields around them so you can't penetrate them anyway so what 
what does old mate Harlan think he's going to do with his shotgun? Um, they show that there are these weird red vines creeping in through the window. That, mm. Yeah, look like like veins kind of thing, which is horrific. Harlan is still ranting and raving as the tripods go quiet, and you know Ray's like, "Shut the fuck up!" Like something's happening, and I can only the way I think to describe it is like some sort of tentacle, but. It's got lights and like a an eye or a camera on the end. It's kind of like one of those, what do you call those things that you use, like doctors use to go to do like colonoscopies and stuff? Oh, like the like the scopes. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, or like, like the things that like SWAT teams use where it's like a long... Oh, yeah. A long sort of, uh, yeah, like prehensile camera kind of thing that they can steer around. It's a bit like that. Yeah. So the aliens send one of those in to have a squeeze at what's going on in the basement. And, you know, they quietly sort of creep around trying to avoid it. At one point, Harlan picks up an axe and is like pretty keen on smashing it. And Ray's like quietly like, like no, 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 don't. <laughs> and manages to convince him. Like Harlan's like, oh, no, no. Okay. And then he, he stops and uh, decides not to chop it, which which is probably a good idea because uh, it's like what, like a telephone pole kind of thickness, like. Yeah, yeah. It's it, not. It just, it's not it, some little like. Yeah, it's not like a little finger width thing that they can just smash through. So they. Oh, the only problem is though, when after he decides not to smash it with an axe, he still manages to crash into a wall covered in like noisy things. So <laughs> the camera like whips around, and they manage to get away from it by putting like this beautiful mirror, which I don't understand why it was in the basement. Like I would spend a lot of money having that in there <laughs> in my house for really good selfies. But yeah, they use this big mirror. And they hide behind it so the, the camera tentacle thing is kind of a little bit confused by it her foot slips out behind it but when it goes around to have a look they've just left a shoe there so it's a distraction very crafty move yes yeah so they so they get to the end of this and it's very tense as they're as they're attempting to kind of evade this thing that's looking around for them and then it finally kind of retracts itself from the room and they're all very relieved uh until they hear something else (laughs) which is which it turns out to be uh, aliens coming in. They have a little poke around, have a little investigate. Like, and I actually find them very cute because I think, oh, they've got big eyes, so that's kind of cute. But also, like, they're very curious in, like, touching things, like, picking up photos and looking at them and sharing them. And, like, they're interested in the wheel because apparently in the original War of the Worlds, those aliens didn't have wheels. So, mm. yeah, they were really curious by a bike wheel that they're playing with and everything. So, yeah, I thought these aliens in this moment were quite cute. Oh, yeah, they're just poking around. They're just checking yeah. out what's going on. And, and I think as well like you could definitely kind of you could sort of make the case for them as i don't know like look at what humans have done to populations of animals and other humans in like colonizing parts of the world so you know you could you could look at what the aliens are doing as like oh we're just clearing out this nest of ants in this place that we want to want to come and relax in and then they get out and they're just they're curious and they're looking around and checking everything out just like well you know they've inherited this new planet they're like well we better go suss out what they've uh, left us and what we can do with the scraps. Yeah, and they don't seem like, um, you know, incredibly, like, villainous by nature in this moment, I guess. Yeah, that's how I was saying to Ben, like, I wonder how many people watch movies like this and don't see the parallels for, like, colonization on our own planet like people just like those fucking aliens and like yeah and yeah like australians living in australia very mm-hmm. similar hmm harlan goes to shoot one of the aliens which again not <laughs> very a good <helpfully>. idea. yeah <laughs> nothing yeah 
you shoot one alien and then you're killed by all the other aliens there. Ray like starts, silently starts wrestling. So there's like really silent wrestling match trying to get the gun off him. Um, he manages to get the gun off Ray and then the horn sound goes off and the aliens are like, oh, okay, back to it. It's kind of like they were on a break and they got to go down and have a sticky beak and then they're like, okay, go back to the ships. We gotta keep fucking shit up. It's like the whistle at the factory in the Flintstones. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, back to it. So they disappear and Helen's like, I don't think we're on the same page here. I'm like, oh, you you fucking think, do you? <laughs> I, <laughs> you don't think Ray wants to like fight the aliens with his 10-year-old daughter sleeping in the next room? Helen absolutely goes nuts. So they see, they look out the window and see a man being taken down from one of the tripods and you don't see it very explicitly, but basically they have this weird needly pronged thing that goes and like sucks up his blood by the looks of it and yeah, it kills him and Helen absolutely fucking flips out at this point. I mean, I don't know what he thought was happening to the humans, but yeah, flips out and he goes and he starts digging a hole, like some in the basement, like he wants to build, he's ranting about building tunnels and like underground subway system and we're going to, we're going to be safe humans, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Ray just kind of like goes, okay, goes and blindfolds Rachel and says, whatever you hear, just don't take your blindfold off. Start singing that lullaby you told me about earlier and goes and kills Harlan. Basically, yeah. Not much else you can do at this point. I feel like there's uh, there's several moments of like very prominent blindfold imagery in this movie and in Minority Report. Mm. There's there's the whole part in Minority Report where he's he has his eyes swapped out, you know. Yeah. And that's that's a kind of a, a whole thing during that movie. <laughs> but also in this, yeah, there's uh, I think there's like there's the earlier moments where he's blindfolding her to try and protect her from this entire thing. Yeah. Uh, which like like we said is very very futile and just sort of wasted effort and isn't actually doing anything to protect his child and then there's this moment where he's blindfolding her to say to save her from like the worst thing that he has to do to keep her safe because this is this is the point of like the like a lot of movies have uh, I guess different kinds of like power fantasies and revenge fantasies and stuff like that about you know what would you do for your family and what would you do to protect your children and there's entire genres of movies like uh, Death Wish and Taken and stuff that are like mm. how many other adults would you murder to <laughs> to protect your child or avenge a sexual assault you know in all of those situations it never actually involves anything happening to the male character it's all him being uh, very upset on somebody else's behalf but yeah this this is like a much more kind of harrowing version of this is the point where he's like this is what I'm going to have to do to keep my daughter safe and so it's not him trying to shield her from everything bad that's happening in the world it's him trying to shield her from the absolute worst thing that he's going to have to do in order to keep her safe i mean all, all the stuff that she's seen is traumatic enough yet yeah, seeing her dad have to kill a man to keep her alive is yeah that's mm. a lot like after the deed he comes and like hugs her on the couch and i think she must i feel like she must know like uh, what i don't know she's 10 years old she's not a toddler she must know something's happened to the other guy for him to suddenly to be quiet when he's been ranting and raving this whole time. But, like, it's a nice moment where they just kind of hug and he's covered in blood and, yeah, just Mm. they kind of hug and go, okay, let's just go to sleep now. See how we go. Well, and and that it's obviously it's obviously like a harrowing thing for him as well. Oh yeah, like it's, like he's it's not, clearly a yeah. He's not a, the kind of guy who's like, ah, oh, cool, I got to kill someone. He's like, well, that was the most fucked thing I've ever done in my whole life. Yeah, it's obviously uh, it's obviously both very traumatic and like an absolute last resort scenario for him. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, Harlan proved pretty intensely that he was either going to get them killed by upsetting the aliens constantly or he was so far into his, like, mania that he was going to hurt them because they weren't willing to save human race like he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they fall asleep on the couch. Rachel is woken by, oh, Mr. Eye Tentacle comes back. Don't know why they keep coming back to the, like, are they doing this to all the houses they come across or well, do I- they... I feel like, the, isn't there like a moment before this where Ray wakes up in the morning and he goes and looks out the window like he sees those vines? Oh, no, no, no. So, so she, yeah, she gets woken up because she sort of wakes yeah. up and is is looking around and then the eye tentacle thing is back and it goes at her. <laughs> <laughs> And Ray grabs the axe and finds that you actually can chop into the big monitoring tentacle thing. And so, in all the commotion, it snatches up Rachel, uh, and he runs. Well, outside. she uh, she she runs away. So she's like he's ah, chopping yeah. and she's screaming. So she runs upstairs to get away from it all. And which annoying because he like goes up and looks up the stairs and he's like opens the front door, but it's all blocked by like lots and lots of the creepy vein things. And goes out. So I'm like, isn't she in the house? But she's obviously run out because he hears a scream from outside he goes out and he can see all the tentacles are just everywhere and I don't know if it's it's a conclusion that you, you're meant to come to but I think they're terraforming because I was like is that the byproduct of what they're doing to humans or so so for, for me what I've taken it as is like um, so there's the scene earlier that they witness which is somebody getting picked up by a tripod and you know having all their insides sucked out it then looks like they're basically like spraying this all over the place Mm. And whatever whatever they're doing in the that's sort of causing all of these big creepy vein like vines to grow everywhere, it very much seems like they're using like blood or or like biological material sucked out of humans as that part of the terraforming or like farming process, which I think adds a layer to like the colonization. Oh yeah, sort of theme of yeah the the way you come in and colonize something is with the blood of the people who were there before like they are literally sowing the ground with the blood of the people that they've killed to take the land yeah and yeah and and it's such a it's such a creepy scene when he comes out of the house and there's all like the vines everywhere and there's what looks like you know like a little like a little dam or something you know just a Mm. pond that looks like it's full of red blood yeah that just looks like it's completely full of blood like dead livestock and everything lying around as well like yeah everything's just like everything's death and then covered in another layer of death yeah Rachel ends up getting, so he sees Rachel standing there. He runs to get her, but she is scooped up by one of the tendrils who carries her up and puts her into this weird little basket thing that the tripod has at the back of him, which is kind of cute. They like little baskets to put his humans in. Yep, little car- little cargo cage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ray is like over my dead body. So he goes and finds like outside like some sort of army vehicle, like a belt full of ammunition and grenades and grabs it and uses one of the grenades, chucks it to get the attention of the of the tripod like the equivalent of like chucking rocks at like a bear to get its attention yep. kind of thing uh, it turns around and picks him up and puts him in the basket which is full of other terrified human beings who have obviously been going to be harvested it's lucky uh, that it did choose to pick him up as opposed to instantly vaporizing him yeah I know right <laughs> it's 
say. Although uh, you also kind of get the sense at this point that the aliens have like the the initial wave of them coming out and just blasting everybody is the sort of initial invasion. But by this point, they've kind of established that these things aren't really a threat. Yeah. And and now they're at the point of like, oh, okay, we've had the kind of we've had that initial wave uh, and established that there isn't any real resistance. And so now we're just going around scooping them all up as resources. So yeah, scoops him up. There were someone else in the basket gets picked up. A tendril comes out of what can only be described as what looks like a sphincter and picks him up and sucks him up through there, obviously to do some gross stuff with. Which, but then I'm also like, when they picked up that guy and put him on the ground and then sucked him out, I'm like, maybe they just do a bit of both. They do some on the ground, they do some mm-hmm. up in the sphincter. Who knows? All I know is I I don't want to go up into the sphincter. No, like even if it's a nice time up there, I don't want to have to go by that, those <laughs> means if I can avoid it. Another one comes down, another tendril comes down to grab and it sort of aims itself at Rachel. So Ray obviously blocks her. So he picks him up by the legs and starts dragging him up. And this other soldier who I guess sees, oh, that's a father and daughter. Like we should probably help this guy not get sucked up in there. And they start pulling him down and everyone sort of joins in and is pulling him down. And he gets almost all the way sucked up, but they manage to sort of pull him down at the last last minute and comes out he doesn't come out covered in slime which i think is nice disappointing that, <laughs> uh, i'm like usually that's the case like you come out of a thing a monster and you're just covered in disgusting slime but it's a, a dry sphincter which is i guess nice um but he when he he spits out and he's uh one of my favorite uh not very common but my favorite tom cruisisms is he spits out all these grenade pins and yeah he's managed to set off a bunch of grenades like the soldiers like oh everyone get down uh and he blows up the tripod from within by setting off a bunch of grenades up in that butthole up there. I feel like this is the first point as well in the movie where we actually see some people working together. Yeah. Because like up until this point it's it's just been everybody panicking. Because yeah, even when the first guy gets sucked up there, everyone just lets him get sucked up. But this is the first time, yeah, one guy goes, oh no, I'm going to help this guy not get sucked up. And yeah. Even Ray, who's like the hero of the movie up to this point has been very looking out for himself and his family. Mm. You know, the, the acts like Robbie trying to help people are still quite isolated incidents. We haven't really mm. seen any instances so far of anybody actually sort of banding together to try and help each other. Yeah. So they get knocked down, like the basket gets knocked down and they're alive and safe and they've killed that tripod. I guess they just, at this point, they're just walking back into a city, which turns out it must be Chicago. Or I don't know if more time has passed. I'm not sure. Oh, they're trying to they're trying to get into Boston still, aren't they, at this point? Oh, is it Boston? Because that's, that's where the mother is. So they're still heading in that direction. Oh, yes, Boston. Boston. For some reason, I thought it was Chicago. Are they near each other? I actually don't know. I don't know either. Hmm. Definitely on that side of the country. They're <laughs> up think. there. And there's a big cluster of them up there somewhere. As they're walking into the city, they can see all the red veins covering everything. They're all kind of turning grey. And when Ray picks one up, it's all like turns into dust in his hands. Which is one of the things where I'm like, is it human material turned to dust? Or is it... I'm wondering if they suck it up, the human material, and they spit it out with their own biological material. And that's why it dies. Like, because if it was just human material... I, I'm... I'm assuming uh, that it's re- related to the ending. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, uh, that stuff is starting to not work for them. Yeah. Ray like asks the soldier, what's going on? Were you able to attack them? And like, no, we've, we haven't. Like, it's They're doing it themselves. They're all sort of starting to collapse and, and die. And as they're watching... Acting weird. Some, yeah. And some birds start attacking one. And Ray's like, look, there's no shield. Like, fucking bomb them. And they're like, wow, let's do it. And they start blowing them up. And they can actually get through because there's no more shields on these tripods. 
tripods so they can actually start blowing them up. And, yeah, they start shooting them down. So, yeah, something has happened to make the tripods no longer... Okay, I, that's what I'm wondering if there must have been a time lapse, like, a, you know, time lost of them travelling further to Boston because that happens really quickly. Like, everything was doing so well for these tripods and then all of a sudden everything's turned to dust and, yeah. I, I sort of get the sense that it's supposed to have taken place over like several days oh yeah basically like that this is all happening when i watch it i'm like this happens in two days <laughs> yeah like the in between them sort of because uh, there's only what there's only like two nights mm. they have they have the first night they have the first night in the mother's house yep and then they have the night in uh what's his name harlan's house and yeah so i've i feel like it's meant to take place across like sort of three days yeah mm. so it really doesn't take very long between you know the invasion happening lots of people getting wiped out total kind of take over by the aliens the terraforming starts happening but then also everything starts falling apart immediately all right that's not just me then that's good because i'm like have, mm. I, have i lost track of all these days but maybe but then i'm, I'm also just trying to work out like how long does it take to get from here to here but i also thought it was going to chicago so it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah so they get into boston and they walk down the street to this beautiful part of boston that doesn't seem super fucked up compared to uh like new york and everything but they managed to track down Marianne and the family, her parents, her partner, and in this really like cliche moment where Robbie steps out of the house and he's safe. He didn't die in an explosion and somehow beat them back to. Yeah. I, I feel like it's quite uh, well done in that it's very ambiguous at first where the mum comes out and sees them and she doesn't kind of do any any big immediate outward emotional expression so you could certainly take it as like her seeing that Robbie's not with them yeah and having the realization so it's all kind of neutral for a second you know and Ray's having that moment of like you know I've completely failed because mm. my one job was to look after the kids and um you know now I have to come back here missing you know half of them yeah <laughs> I have to come back missing half of the kids and, you know, explain to you what happened and how I lost one of them. But then, yeah, the, you know, she sort of doesn't do anything external to show either. Oh, don't worry, Robbie's... <laughs> Robbie's in the kitchen. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that would kind of suck the suck all the air out of the scene, you know. Yeah. Ray and Robbie embrace and, you know, it's kind of like, Dad, you did your best and I now I've reflected on it. Maybe I was a bit of an asshole doing that to you. I, prob I probably shouldn't <laughs> have done that. <laughs> I wonder how, like, how quickly he realised how bad of it. Probably that big explosion that he runs back and like they're gone and he's like, oh, mamma mia. Yeah, I don't he's know like, I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> so, yeah, happy moment. Everyone's reunited. And a brief moment back with that narrator that we had at the start of the movie explaining that, in case you hadn't worked it out already, that microorganisms killed aliens from within. Basically, they were killed by the human cold. Got them. Got them. <laughs> Like humans, you know, we have a right to be where we are because we've gotten used to all the bugs and the microorganisms and bacteria and everything. But these aliens watching us from afar were like, oh, we can fuck them up. Not knowing that tiny little bugs and a drop of water could actually 
fuck them up as well. Uh, I like the way it's phrased in that little epilogue. It's like, how do they put it? Uh, they, they say, like, you know, humanity's earned the right. Yeah. But they say, like, they've earned it by virtue of, like, you know, millions of people who've died. Or, like, yeah. billions Just of people who've out. died over over millennia. Because, yeah, that that is, like, the process of developing immunity to all of these things over thousands of years. Is people dying from them, you know? And yeah, then, lots of people uh, dying and, yeah collectively so so i guess it's like interesting conceptually as like that's a cost that you have paid like as a species in a war with yeah all of the bacteria and microbes and stuff that are on your own planet that has gone on between you and them for years and years and years you know you think about things like how like in hospitals you know constantly like disinfecting everything and winds up leading to like superbugs in hospitals and yeah. like heaps people all taking like like antibiotics too much means that they stop being as effective against all these different things. So, you know, we are like, I've, I've read these things where they're talking about like immunologists and stuff being concerned that we are like constantly kind of on the brink of fucking it up and just not being immune to a whole bunch of stuff anymore through like overprescription of antibiotics, all that kind of stuff. Which is poignant considering, you know, what's going on in the world at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this was an ending that I think a lot of people did not care for because you know it is adapted directly from the original I believe but yeah I, I can imagine a lot of people being kind of not particularly impressed by it because it, you know it's this huge special effects extravaganza and they get to the end and they go and the aliens died I mean the problem I have and this the ending apart from I mean I, I think it wraps up a bit too neatly kind of like it's like there we go. It was just the organisms <laughs> that did it after all. Like, yeah, it happens really qu- sort of quickly. But the thing that I think that pisses a lot of people off as well is that Robbie shouldn't have survived. Like, it's not <laughs> great storytelling, I guess. Like, Ray had to let his son go, like, as his, like, big lesson learned and everything. Or that we shouldn't, you know, maybe we don't have to know what happened to Robbie. We can just, for him to have not only survived but beat them back, it kind of weakens the moral of why, you know, what was the significance of thinking his son had died if it was just to be undone, you know, 10 minutes later? I mean, maybe the significance, you know, if they're carrying through that whole uh, plot theme the whole time of being willing to let your kids go and make their own decisions and make their own mistakes and everything, is that he let his son go and he went out and took a risk and he was okay. Yeah, that's true. And also, I guess, like, not knowing what happened to Robbie is also kind of a reflection of Robbie did go and have his own journey you know mm. he he did go and have like his own autonomous life for a little stretch there where his dad wasn't there and his dad wasn't controlling it or you know trying to keep him safe or anything I mean I, I kind of think like the way that it plays out and wraps up and everything this movie like in a sci-fi way uh, I think follows a lot of the conventions of like disaster movies where the characters in a disaster movie the overwhelming majority of the time can't actually exercise any control over the thing that's happening. Mm. Um, They can't be like, ah, I'm going to do X and stop this earthquake that's happening. You know, oh, I'm going to plug in this thing and stop the volcano or whatever. Which, you know, may may even be part of the reason that I don't like some types of like disaster movies and that sort of thing that much because the, the role of the characters is often very passive. And in this movie, this kind of has the same thing, which is this movie is just the story of a family during this thing that is happening. Uh, It's just a few days in the life of this family as this 
wild, unbelievable thing is occurring around them. They can't really do much personally to change the course of what's happening. And I would argue that a lot of the themes in the movie are about not having any control over what's happening. You know? Yes, definitely. However, there are definitely points like Ray shoving grenades up the tripod sphincter <laughs> and uh, him being the one to point out to the soldiers yeah. that it that the tripod doesn't have shields. There's just a few points like that where it's like you kind of they sort of had to give Ray something to do to be just a little more of a hero or a little more of an active participant in the story than he would have otherwise been if those things just kind of happened anyway yeah which which i think is probably you know a bit of more of a decision about like how do we make sure that our main characters are staying involved in the progression of the story but those are kind of the only points where i'm like oh what did ray have to be the one person to be like hey do you guys notice this <laughs> this thing whoa well, thank I guess you normally in um uh, thank you normal civilian walking past at this exact yep. right time like i think with a lot of disaster movies though the lead actor usually is the scientist who knows mm. the thing that will potentially help like or you know i'm just trying to think of, like in context of like independence day where yeah, it was the computer scientist, Jeff Goldblum, and the grunt soldier who, yeah, there's usually people, but yeah, Ray doesn't have any special skills or, you know, qualifications that actually will help him in this thing. It's just like him just wandering around trying to do his best, make sure his kids don't die. Yeah, and he, and he also has just as little or less of an idea of what's happening than anybody else who's walking around. Yeah. I guess, yeah, the other, the other difference with a lot of disaster movies, like you're saying, is that there's normally someone who has something to do or they are like you know uh, a bit of a hero or something yeah often often it's somebody who takes the kind of leadership role of saying i'm gonna help us all get out of here or i'm gonna like i'm gonna assemble this cast of characters and like help get us away from the volcano or get us out of this tunnel or whatever it might be i keep thinking of the, the sylvester stallone movie daylight for i think about that movie constantly because every time i'm in a tunnel i <laughs> like what would i do in this situation i'm like well well, I've watched Daylight, so I know what I would do. That's it. You'll be that fine. That or uh, Independence Day in the tunnel. I think about those two movies all the time. Every oof. time I drive through one of Brisbane's many tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like definitely in those types of movies, normally they find a reason to say like, or like uh, San Andreas, uh, some terrible movie I watched recently with uh, The Rock. That was filmed near my mum's house, some of that stuff. There you go. In, in Ipswich, yeah. Yeah, and uh, where it's just like, hey, now we're following this guy who happens to be a highly qualified ex-special forces or, you know, ex-rescue operations guy or something, as opposed to this guy is a longshoreman yeah. uh, and he has no idea what's happening and he's not very good at being a dad. If anyone else had directed this, so if it's not been a Spielberg movie, I think there would have been a scene where Ray saves the day by controlling a crane to <laughs> smash through or do something. Like, he, yeah, if it had been a normal kind of disaster movie that wasn't Spielbergian, I think they probably would have used his skill that they set up at the start to be like, yep. oh, who knows how to operate a crane this big? And he's like, oh, it's me. And then he saves the day by 
know, <laughs> dropping a container on a tripod or something. But it's a Spielberg movie, so we did not get that. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, in this movie, it's kind of, for me, it's kind of like a good sweet spot, like a good intersection in Spielberg stuff between family-focused, slightly more believable as humans characters and mm. really big budget special effects uh, sci-fi kind of thing, you know? Because, like, Minority Report, much more, you know, he's an extremely capable, like, he's a cop, he's also the smartest cop and better at the job than everybody else and all those sorts of things, you know, and very sort of physically capable and all that sort of stuff in a sci-fi setting but in this yeah he's just really just supposed to be a very ordinary guy and there's not too many moments in the movie where yeah where he does anything that's kind of exceptional you know either yeah. physically or yeah he's other than the one moment where he's he's just kind of done whatever he can to save his daughter by getting up in the alien that's really the only thing that he's done that is like kind of action hero-ish in the movie everything Everything else is kind of running away from stuff and hiding under things and... Yeah, acting like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, holding his daughter and running away from stuff is is a lot of the movie. And like I said, I just... I love this movie for the pacing. I think it is an immaculately paced movie. Because when you when you think about this movie, I think you, you just think about any of the number of, like, set pieces, you know. There is a plane crashing on us. We're in a basement and Tim Robbins is going insane. Although they're zooming away at the start and the bridge is like just getting absolutely destroyed around behind them and like flipping trucks and cars at them. Yep, people getting, all all the people getting, you know, vaporized on the street and turned into ash. And even, yeah, so you think of all of these set pieces and it's a very, very like, uh, to me, it's a very propulsive movie. Like everything is constantly kind of getting pushed forward. There's pretty much always a sense in any given scene that they can't really be in the place that they're in for very long mm. that for one reason or another whether it's an external factor they have to keep moving or they're immediately they immediately find that they're unsafe in the place that they're in so like it keeps moving forward really briskly all the time and between all of those set pieces there's like there's just no filler you know yeah there's nothing in this movie that is just kind of like hey we're just kind of padding out 10 minutes of dialogue or or something here you know everything kind of happens as part of one of the scenes uh, a lot of that sort of character work happens in those big set pieces and everything. And even then, like, I think even the sort of a lot of the connective tissue between those set pieces is those very small moments of quiet where you do get the character development. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it's very fluid, I think, how the movie just kicks along at a very brisk pace the whole time. Definitely. Yeah, it's one of the, my favorite things, too. Like, there's not a moment where you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? I don't. Yeah, it's just like, fuck, yeah, everything's happening is so full on and amazing and scary and what would I do in this situation and yeah it is an excellent movie so obviously you love this movie uh, and rate this really highly is there anything you don't like about the movie? No I think like I was saying I think it's only those kind of moments where um, where it's like you know why is, why is Ray the guy to notice <laughs> that yeah. the shields are down? <laughs> I think it's very well done the way that they move from like okay here's our house here's us seeing the alien come out here's us running away and everything but um in all of the scenes, it feels like it's it's Ray who notices everything. Yes. It's Ray who sort of sees things happening first. It's Ray that notices that, like, the, the ground is cold. Uh, every, everybody around him, like, all the people in the neighborhood who all know each other, yeah. are like, what do, you th- what do you think, Ray? 
So, so like, like I said, I think there's a few points where it's like you could have just let this thing happen and just had Ray be there to see it instead of him necessarily needing to be the kind of driving force in some of the areas. But you know, outside of that, I mean, uh, like we were saying at the very beginning of the last episode, it's pretty rare to see Tom Cruise play like a family mm. sort of role to play a father. I'm I'm trying to think of roles outside of things like you know, I think uh, him and Nicole Kidman's characters have kids in like eyes wide shut I don't know if you ever see them you just like briefly see them like one bit in the bedroom yeah not just yeah not just like a schlubby guy but he's also like a proper family guy I'd have to actually go through and look because I now that you've said that I actually can't think of yeah I'm like I I really I really struggle to to think of like any movie of his where his character like has kids he doesn't have kids I mean in Minority Report he had a kid but we don't get to see the kid that's true outside of flashbacks and things yeah and so you, you don't have to actually see him like having a family and other than flashbacks where everything's kind of happy. Yeah. You know? But yeah, outside of that, I kind of look across his whole filmography and I feel like this is the only one, really. I'm scanning the whole thing right oh. now. American Made, he American has made, kids, but, yeah. but he never, but at the same time, it's just like you see them in a couple of scenes. Mm. Uh, it doesn't it's not about really him being a family man, it's about him being a plain yeah. man. Yeah, his, his, the thing that he is doing in that movie is something entirely separate from that and the family stuff is always it's it's a background note in that movie this is really the only thing in his whole filmography where not only like you said is he meant to be kind of just working class and normal he's also meant to be not that great of a guy uh he is not specially qualified or skilled or trained in any way and he also has to look after his kids the whole time so it's very very unique tom cruise role in that sense it really is yeah not yeah he's not the hero really in any kind of normal Tom Cruise way like yeah and it's he does it so well that I kind of wish he would do a role some like this sort of regular guy with a family kind of thrust into a situation where he has to try and be a hero like I'm just thinking like I just watched True Lies and just thinking like Arnold Schwarzenegger has done that a bit where he's has been just like a normal family guy who gets you know he might have a, a past like uh, actually Commando is what I watched recently where you know he has a past and everything but like he, yeah he's a family guy just trying to enjoy his family and then doing it but yet you would think Tom Cruise would be better suited to those because he doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like the big action hero. But yeah, no, Tom Cruise just hasn't really done it. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and like, you know, what... I mean, you can definitely kind of... I, I think you can kind of divide his filmography pretty neatly into, like, pre and post, like, blockbuster kind of career, you know? And a lot of the things that he was doing before he was doing much more of the kind of Mission Impossibles and Minority Report and The Last Samurai and that kind of stuff. A lot of those sorts of things like, you know, Cocktail and Rain Man and The Color of Money and stuff. I, I really like those movies because he's just playing a character he's not playing like a superhuman guy or anything Mm. he's just playing a guy and often one who can be like quite unlikable in his own way like you know his his character in Rain Man is not a nice guy I remember yelling at that guy a lot (laughs) but how much more interesting does that make the movie you know that he that he is someone like with his own set of motivations that he's like he's selfishly motivated for the overwhelming majority of that movie yeah but yeah like a lot of those sort of earlier pieces where it's just much more of like a character piece like risky business you know things where he is a normal person. Yeah. Uh, grant, granted, in the case of those things, he is a normal, like, 20-year-old or 25-year-old doing Also, stuff. I'm wondering, like, because he, yeah, when he was younger, he did all these more, like, up until, like, 
I feel like Jerry McGuire and Vanilla Sky, he was still doing kind of those sorts of roles. And then he's mm. gone to a point where he's doing all these blockbusters. Do you think he's just trying to, like, before he gets too old to do all this stuff, he's just like, I really like doing this stuff. I'm going to smash it out and then I'll have, you know, 20 years. I can do more easier roles. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. I think so. Like, I mean... It definitely seems like whenever I see any kind of behind the scenes stuff with him now, like from, you know, the most recent Mission Impossible or I was showing my dad the behind the scenes stuff from the new Top Gun movie because I was like, hey, I will probably watch this. Not because I care about Top Gun, but uh, so my my dad was in the Air Force as like an engineer and he worked on like fighter jets, like repairing fighter jets and that sort of stuff. So he was very into fighter jets for a long time. And and I was like, yeah, check this out. They seem to just be flying fighter jets for this whole movie and actually filming it you know because it seems like Tom Cruise is bankable enough as a movie star and you know does everything through his own production company so he can insure himself for death in a fighter jet or whatever you know (laughs) clinging onto a side of a plane for a stunt yep it seems like he gradually transitioned from I'll learn a stunt if it's required to I want to learn this thing so I will build a movie around it well they're they're going to go into space soon so so, like, that seems to be just built around Tom Cruise, like, I want to go to space. And, like, well, we can make that into a movie. Yep. We'll be the first people to film some action blockbuster stuff in space. So, don't worry. I'll be there rattling <laughs> the doors at the cinemas when that comes out. <laughs> oh, like, I, I definitely kind of look at it as far as, you know, it just just in that matter of, like, hey, nice work if you can get it. If, uh, <laughs> if you can get paid a whole bunch of money and make work for a bunch of other people so that you can go out and just do whatever absolutely wild shit you want if you want to strap you to the side of a literal cargo plane and take off uh, all that sort of stuff just so you can say I reckon I can do that let's do it now <laughs> it's got to be one of the you know more fun existences yeah like why wouldn't you if you if you want to do that and you have the ability to why wouldn't you well there would be I feel like there would be very few people in the world who would be in a position to be able to do it and he seems to be taking full advantage of it so more Living power his to best him. life <laughs> That's right. Before we go on to Tom Cruiseisms, may I ask, as a Tom Cruise mega fan, uh, what is your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Ooh, it's really hard. I feel like this is terrible, but I feel like the Tom Cruise movie that I have probably watched the most is Jack Reacher. Really? Yeah. Because they're probably my least favorite Tom Cruise movies. It's uh, I don't like the second one as much, but the, the first one just scratches something in my brain just right. But I think as as far as like my favorite my favorite ones, I probably couldn't pick one. I'll throw a few out. I'd probably say like uh, War of the Worlds and maybe Risky Business. I think Risky Business is one of the best soundtracks. And it's such a like I try and explain this to people all the time. What you think Risky Business is, if you've never seen it, it's probably not that. Like it's such a no, different movie no. to how they kind of yeah sold it and how people ref- like think about it. It's yeah, it's much more like a. Uh, like a very adult Ferris Bueller, you know? Mm. But yeah, great movie. Got Bronson Pinchot in it. Like, I just, yeah, I think generally uh, the stuff from the first kind of third of his career, I think he's just a very captivating performer in things like,
like Rain Man and Cocktail, Color of Money, uh, Risky Business, all those things. Like, yeah, he's just gives very kind of, I don't know, electric performances in those things. So I, I would say that that little that little stretch of movies, I think, might be my favorite. Nice. For some reason, I'm just really into spy movies. And I didn't realize that until I became obsessed with Tom Cruise because I love Mission mm. Impossible. And then outside of Mission Impossible, I'm obsessed with Night and Day. I haven't seen that one. Oh, my God. One of the few that I have not seen. It rules. He and Cameron Diaz have so much chemistry, you wouldn't believe it. And he's playing basically, it's like a funny spy movie. Like it's a bit more silly than Mission Impossible. And it's also Tom Cruise at his handsomest, which is another reason why oh. I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I really like that. And otherwise, I think Edge of Tomorrow is probably my other favorite Tom Cruise oh, movie. Such a good movie. Jesus Christ, that's a good movie. I just think like um, late late career. Yeah, like, like to me, the two best stretches of his career are that first however many years where he's doing like risky business and cocktail and everything and playing like you know just really interesting characters and then there is the late career sci-fi Tom Cruise yeah so good that I think is just a great great reinvention you know Edge of Tomorrow absolutely rules like War of the Worlds and uh, Minority Report rule Oblivion 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 is cool I know a lot of people a lot of people give Oblivion a bad rap I feel oh, like I, I find that very fun yeah okay well now we've gone off track for a while there that's fine I, I love talking about Tom Cruise people who like <laughs> Tom Cruise and don't want to be mean to him all the time we'll talk about Tom Cruise-isms quickly obviously stunts uh, if you watch any of the making ofs or behind the scenes of this movie Tom Cruise does I mean, he does all his own stunts anyway there's not a lot of stunts I think as compared to say Minority Report where you know he's not clinging onto someone with a jetpack or and falling down through scaffolding like those sort of stunts it's mostly just him reacting and running away and yeah he's not he doesn't get batted around that much except for like when they're you know confronting the tripod who's kidnapped his daughter kind of thing but yep. any stunts that are in the movie obviously he, does, he did them all running a lot of running at the start of the movie and a combination of super Tom Cruise running when he's bolting away from the explosions and then the more uh, reacting and yeah it's scared of shitting himself kind of running that we don't see as much but yeah it's still a Tom Cruise thing what's another Tom Cruiseism? Uh it's only in a couple of movies Edge of Tomorrow and maybe one other where he sneaks some grenades somewhere and then spits out you know reveals in his hand that there's grenade pins. I, I call that a Tom Cruiseism. What else? Does he do the Tom Cruise kind of like over the top like laugh, clap kind of I'm just trying no, to think. No. No, not, he doesn't. Not a lot of not a lot of joy gets expressed in this movie. <laughs> there's no time. Yeah, there's no like there's a thing that happens in a surprising amount of Tom Cruise movies as well is him getting drunk and having like a bit of a monologue. Doesn't get a chance to do mm. that. Doesn't monologue at all in this movie. No. Although I feel like maybe that bit uh, at the start where he's like telling the kids to um, get all their stuff and, you know, put get all the food and put it in a box and stuff like that. A bit of that kind of um, very quick clipped speaking to, to everybody, yeah. you know, a really short way of speaking that he has. Um, apart from that, as per usual, never remember what Tom Cruise-isms I'm meant to cover. That's fine. Like I said, it's my podcast. Do what I want. <laughs> all right. So we better review the movie now before we talk forever about how much we love Tom Cruise. Uh, so my review is I'm going to give it 
Four schlubby rays falling over a plastic chair, frightened by electricity. Out of five, um, I give it four because I love this movie to death, and yeah, there's uh, almost everything is great. I just 20 percent less screaming from Rachel, and <laughs> I think Robbie. We shouldn't have seen Robbie at the end. I I didn't like that particular part. I'm fine with you know what killed the aliens and everything. That doesn't bother me. That part of the ending, just having that tender moment. Robbie, Robbie should have died. I yeah, Robbie. I, Robbie either should have died or we should have been. We didn't need to know because it cheapens the whole scene with him saying goodbye to his son and everything. But maybe that's just me. This movie is pretty mean, like for a Spielberg movie. Like it's one of Spielberg's meaner kind of movies. Like Mm. lots of people die and all this sort of stuff happens. And I think Robbie not making it would have fit the tone a little bit better. But that's just me. How would you rate it? I am an enthusiastic lover of this film. I'm going to give it five tripod alien sphincters out of five. uh, Because this is is like in my top three sci-fi movies of all time. I think Fuck this yeah. is this is way up there for me, and people are often very surprised when I say that. But I just love it. Like I said, I think it's immaculately shot. It's a beautiful movie. Great special effects. Great Tom Cruise. Wonderfully paced. It is just when you think of like Steven Spielberg at the height of his powers and the great set pieces that he has all through his movies. This movie is just wall to wall set pieces. Great pacing. Some of the set pieces themselves are like you know quite moments like the you know the really tense stuff in the basement with Harlan yeah but it, but even those things in and of themselves are like really memorable chunks of the movie you know mm. where you're just thinking the whole time shut the fuck up Harlan shut up <laughs> I want to get out of this basement with this crazy guy. Uh, so even even the quieter parts of the mo- of the movie are either like really tense or haunting. Uh, a lot of really just amazing imagery. I love it. Five buttholes. Oh man, now I want to know. Four, you've picked it, Cara. Um, yeah, I, I feel the exact same way. It's just there's a couple of things that annoy me in it that, yeah, bring it down a little bit. So to continue, I mean, we could talk about a million things forever, but I would like to know, apart from the ending, do you think there is anything else, apart from the ending and the fact Tom Cruise jumped on the couch when promoting this movie, do you think there's anything else that made people react so poorly to this movie? And uh, Apparently, a piece of trivia that I just learned is mm. that apparently um, Steven Spielberg was meant to also be doing the promo with Tom Cruise on the day but he pulled out to go and like attend to some last minute uh, effects and that was the day that he wound up jumping on the couch do we think that Steven's no actually no so have you ever watched that couch thing fairly recently not not that recently but I do I do recall it's uh (laughs) a Because if you wa- when you watch the whole thing, like, and this is when I try and explain to people who are like, oh, he jumped on the couch. I'm like, uh, if you watch the whole thing, Tom Cruise seems like a fairly excitable man the best of times. But when he gets in there, that audience has been whipped up into such a frenzy by Oprah. They're just like screaming. Like you can't hear anything. It's just them screaming and screaming and screaming. And Tom Cruise is obviously like the atmosphere is really electric. So he is reacting accordingly to how else everyone else is reacting in that studio. It's not that bad when you put it that way. And also I'm like, there's a man who loved this woman enough to be like, I love her and jumped on the couch. Like, I think in my opinion, some of the opposition to that is because people are like, how embarrassing expressing your love for a woman, like so visibly, like in a, you know, toxic, yeah, toxic yeah. masculine kind of way. Yeah, I think all unfair. I don't know how much Steven Spielberg would have changed that. Maybe everyone wouldn't have been whipped up into such a frenzy because Spielberg was there because Spielberg is like, a sensible kind of presence 
maybe. Or if the interview would have been less about Tom Cruise and his love life and all that, that sort of that's stuff. That's actually true. Have, yeah, that's probably what it would have been. And would have just stuck with, you know, promoting a movie. Yeah, like I, I definitely think that uh, in my recollection of it anyway, that it, like you said, it was an atmosphere of going along with it as opposed yeah. to everyone is sitting by in awkward silence as I like jump up and down on the couch and screech yeah. about my girlfriend. Yeah, you, like I think, like you said, you can definitely attribute some of the reception to this movie to the fact that like this was the point of the very public turning on Tom Cruise. Because how long after this was like that Scientology tape leaked? It wasn't long after, was it? I don't think so. I don't know if that would have affected this movie. I don't know. Like the the and this is this is obviously wildly speculative at this point. Oh, that's but, what like, this podcast is all about. That's right. But yeah, like the obviously uh, Scientology not good. That's fine. I don't think that's mm. controversial to say. And you know he's definitely been an advocate for it and a spokesperson for it and everything. All of the things I have read about and and like seen people talking about and not just like other movie stars but like just people who work on film sets. The only things I have ever seen anybody say about him have been that he is like extremely professional, pleasant to people, and easy to get along with. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. Um, did you hear that audio that someone leaked recently of him like oh, yeah. yelling? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and, and, many times. <laughs> well, and and people people were talking about it like it was the Christian Bale flip out. Yeah, thing, so you know? I noticed because I'm not on Twitter that much. Everything I saw was actually super positive. Like I understand why he reacted like that, and it was justified. Blah blah blah. And then I went on Twitter, and everyone was like, "Tom Cruise is a shit cunt. How dare he do that to people? Um, he's awful." Blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Oh, that's so different to like on Facebook and Instagram and stuff where I saw people talking about it, where they were all like, "Oh, I don't normally like Tom Cruise, but I get why he reacted like that." And I, he's stressed out and he's trying to look after a film set and all his crew and everything. And yeah, I thought that was really wild. The difference, yeah, because well, people... yeah, because he's because he's a producer on everything that he does mm. as well. And yeah, so like like listening to that thing where the stuff that I saw portrayed it as being like the Christian Bale thing. If some fucking sound guy is in my line of sight again while I'm doing this reading, you know, I'm gonna flip out. I'm gonna go chimp mode. Yeah. And whereas like the Tom Cruise thing, I listened to it and it was like him saying, "Hey." This is really serious. We have all of these protocols and stuff in place for COVID and everything. The fact that we're like doing all of this is the only reason that we all get to have a job. And, you know, if people jeopardize that, you're going to fuck it up. We're going to shut the thing down. No one gets to have a job. Well, there's people at home with no jobs. Like, yeah, yeah. And just being like, you know, if you fuck it up for everybody, I will fire you was the yeah. was the gist of it. You know, that's kind of the worst thing I've ever heard of him doing on a film mm. set. Every other anecdotal thing I've ever heard is this man is like the consummate professional this guy shows up on the first day and he has memorized all of his lines uh from the script he has memorized mm -hmm. all of the lines of anybody that he is in a scene with so that he knows all of his own cues mm -hmm. he has memorized everything that he needs to do for the movie like just approaches it in an extremely workmanlike fashion and everything he's the world's greatest entertainer he's like he, well he's, he loves his job more than anything and he's going to do his absolute best every time. That's right. This is the Tom Cruise propaganda podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole that whole video leak thing 
like to me, it was mostly just disappointed dad energy. Like yeah, he was so yeah. angry. But then by the end of it, he was kind of like, not apologetic, but he was kind of like, oh, I've overreacted a little bit. I'm going to kind of like soften it a little bit by explaining and coming as I calm down kind of thing. And also he like a day later apologized to everyone apparently and then sent them all home to have some time off over Christmas or whatever. And I imagine he made it up for them. And yeah, anything I've heard. I've got some people I know who work in um, composition and visual effects over in the UK, and they didn't have. Exp- they've not worked on any of his movies, but they have friends who have. And he's done things like he would go into the office when all the people are doing the uh, visual effects and everything, and they said no other actor ever does this, and came in and was like asking them about what they were doing, and like really genuinely excited to check that part of the process out and talk to the staff, just random staff about it, and you know he takes some staff all out to see the movies at, like they were talking about the one in Leicester Square they went and saw and apparently there was a problem with the sound. And Tom Cruise was like, this is bullshit and just went and hired a cinema across the way and took them all <laughs> over. And like just, yeah, he seems like, yeah, Scient- Scientology aside, I think he seems like a really nice guy and I maybe he's a horrible person in real life but what he presents to people and the public and everything. Like when he went to that movie, when he went and saw Tenet, did you see that? Yeah, it was, that- it was so funny when he's just like, <laughs> great to be back at the movies. It's <laughs> clapping and <laughs> Like well, yeah. the weird the weird irony of this, of course, is I remember watching an interview. Yes, I was watching the Joe Rogan show. Sorry, everybody, because <laughs> he was interviewing uh, Ron Miscovich, who is David Miscovich's father. David Miscovich being the current leader of Scientology. So this guy was talking about how, like, you know, obviously he feels really bad because he introduced his own family to Scientology in the seventies, and his son has wound up being the world leader of Scientology. And he was like, yep, I lost my family and I like, I spent all these years like getting my daughter out and all this kind of stuff. But what he was talking about was he was like in the 70s when I started in this thing, he was like, the courses that you start off with are just like, hey, here's a course on how to be a better communicator with somebody. Mm. And it's, it's all these things that are like, look people in the eye when you're speaking to them and make an effort to remember their name. And, you know, uh, just a lot of that sort of stuff. Be honest and direct with people. Be polite. All that sort of stuff. And he was like, yeah. Yeah, so they give you a bunch of these courses that when you use them and you follow the thing, you're like, oh, there is an actual improvement in my life from doing this thing. But then as you progress through the organization, the things start to change and they start to require like bigger financial commitments from you and they start to get your whole finances involved. And then once you are at the point where you are completely hooked into the thing, that's when they hit you with the, it's aliens and yeah. <laughs> all that kind of thing. Now we're going to live on a boat. Yeah. But I was sort of thinking about this as like, you know, Tom Cruise being, I guess, you know, I'm sure that Scientology would look at him as he's one of the sort of faces of Scientology as look what you can accomplish when you do mm. all of the things that Scientology teaches you. And yeah, I was sort of thinking about like the stuff that uh, that this guy's dad was saying and like, yeah, well, apparently half of the reason that Tom Cruise does so well with everything is that like he treats all the people that he works with with respect and he looks them in the eye and he remembers their name. Like a lot of the stories that you hear are people saying like, like I remember seeing an interview with Russell Brand and someone was talking to him about working with him on like Rock of Ages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, where he's like, oh, you know, you'd sort of, he was like, yeah, it was just weird. You'd He'd ask you how you were and you'd say, oh, you know, my nan's not too great. And then you'd see him two months later and he'd be like, oh, how's your nan doing? You know, <laughs> like he clearly listens very closely to things that people are saying and internalizes them and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, whatever your motivations are, you can only do those things through actual effort yeah. and application. Yeah, like if, if, if he's a, 
a real shitty guy, like in his private life, like to put on that front to so many people all the time. Doesn't that make you a good guy? I guess. Like, what does he do in his home life that could, un- yeah? So, from all intents and purposes, he must be a good guy, unless he, I don't know, kicks puppies or something at home. Like, I don't know what he could be doing to be anything but what we see. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a very elaborate, <laughs> it's a very elaborate yeah. ruse, otherwise. And like, you know, obviously, don't take any of this as any kind of great endorsement or defense of Scientology or anything, because there are a litany of you know documented things about all Scientology of that sort of stuff. fucking sucks. Yeah, and you know. Apparently, although Ben was like, you're defending Scientology again. I'm like, no, I'm just saying (laughs) it's not the same as this cult movie we're watching. Scientology is cult-like, but it's not. Anyway, apparently I defend Scientology a lot, but I'm not doing it because I like Scientology. I just think it gets that extra bit of unfair criticism when there are plenty of other organized religions that are just as fucked. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, what's what's the real difference is that one was invented in the last 50 years. Um, (laughs) It's not not fucking Nixium where there's like a sex cult kind of simmering just underneath or the maybe maybe there is who knows oh man i watched that documentary that was wild that nexium thing yeah yeah, I guess uh, I guess my point is simply that to hear it told about how like what the kind of some of the fundamentals of the Scientology stuff are in terms of like teaching you life skills, it really seems as though a big part of Tom Cruise's success has been applying those things, you know, as uh, thoroughly and consistently as you can over a long career, and it's paid off apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I'll criticize Scientology for a lot of things, but making Tom Cruise real good at his job, it did it. Right. You know, the That's proof is no in the crime. pudding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll leave that there then. Um, in summary, Tom Cruise, two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Anyway, thank you again for joining me, Andrew, and talking to me for hours about this wonderful movie. Oh, you're very welcome. You're thank you for welcome. having me. Can we just remind us where we can find you online? Uh, find me on the podcast Bunta Vista. I will be talking about Bigfoot scams people have done lots of very important and relevant news like that uh maybe finding out what some local monkeys have been up to very topical podcast and you can find us at uh puntavista.com on apple podcasts all the places where you would get a podcast um i've already mentioned this with ben but uh, the way you guys keep shitting on disneyland uh, i don't like it and <laughs> i'm personally offended by it every single time it happens just just Look, that's fair. From me. I'm I'm just very against waiting in lines. Oh man, so are we we uh we have techniques to uh, avoid doing that. But that's for my other podcast talking about Disneyland queues and how to <laughs> how to avoid them. Um, yeah, if you want to find me online, it's Tom Cruise Reviews on Instagram, Tom Cruise Review on Twitter, no S on the end, and TomCruiseReviews.com. I'm going to go cough myself to death right now after two hours of talking about Tom Cruise. Uh, thanks again for joining me, Andrew, and we'll catch you all next time. Bye.